0: morning again Uh, our second lesson is from uh, Paul's letter to the churches that met in the city of Colossae Caleb has done such a wonderful job of introducing us to this letter as the lectionary has us in Colossians for a little bit here and it's my privilege to uh, to work with you here this morning on this passage in front of us that I'm about to read to you printed in your liturgy As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your life in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the universe and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through the faith and the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with his legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them triumphing over them in it. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink or of observing festivals, new moons or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what's to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and Worship of angels, dwelling on visions puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Open our ears, O Lord, that we may hear the gospel May your Holy Spirit be the one who teaches us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Recently, in our family, we watched The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes 1 and 2. It inspired us to embark on a family reading project to read all the Sherlock Holmes books. Now, one person in our family has already achieved a giant head start, and I'll tell you, it's not me. At the men's gathering this week at Fountainhead, I was telling a couple of guys about this, and we began reminiscing about when we had read Sherlock Holmes' stories as kids and how fascinated we were by his use of logic to solve mysteries. I was thinking about all of this this week as I was working on my homily for this morning. Because when it comes to the letter to the Colossians, it is a bit like solving a mystery when it comes to trying to make out just what the Apostle Paul is so animated about when he says things like this. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, etc., etc. Or, therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink, or observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. Or a few verses earlier, and this morning even, in the letter, he says the whole reason he's writing to them is so that no one may deceive them with plausible arguments. Now, Paul is clearly, clearly writing this letter to this young church to correct a false teaching in the church. But unlike when he does something similar, for instance, in the letter to the Galatians, where he spells out more clearly what the false teaching is, here he writes about something in a way that indicates that his audience would have understood exactly what he was talking about. However... We're left to make guesses based on clues. And uh, scholars do just that. <laughs> they debate a lot, I mean a lot, about what is sometimes referred to as the Colossians heresy. I, I, when, when, it, when it became apparent to me I was going to preach this Sunday, I thought, oh, I wonder what the most recent debate about this, <laughs> so I like, went online to try to find the most recent commentaries because the theory about what the Colossian heresy is, you know, it, it gets updated and revised and whatnot about every five years or so. Lots of ink has been spilled theorizing about how much of it is what's called Gnosticism, a secret knowledge that only the enlightened could come to when following. Guess what? Enlightened teachers. Caleb introduced us to that idea a little bit last week. But what brand of Gnostic teaching was it? Not quite sure. But wait, there's more. Scholars also wonder how much of the false teaching at Colossae was simply Jewish Christians trying to make Gentile converts also become Jews by following certain aspects of the Old Testament ceremonial law that would be like what was going on when he wrote to the Galatians. So, we may wonder at the end of the day just what exactly the Colossian heresy or false teaching was, but the one thing that is clear is that at its core was the idea that beginning in Jesus, beginning in Jesus was just the first step in being all you need to be, just the beginning. The gospel of welcome was welcome, but not welcome. Full stop. It was welcome to some sort of treadmill of needed add-ons, and and that's why Paul says what he does here at the beginning of our reading this morning: As you received Christ, so walk in Him. How did you receive Him? You received him by saying yes to his grace and not by one single thing you did or left undone. You said yes to his welcome. You said yes to his forgiveness. You said yes to his love. And in the same way now, everything else in your life that has to do with following Jesus, in other words, everything in your life, is just a simple continuation of saying yes to God's gracious invitation of forgiveness and love. You don't need any add-ons. You don't need to do something else. Everything about the relationship that matures, uh, everything about the relationship that matures, matures not because you start doing something different or you exert some kind of effort or you present yourself in a better light Etc., etc., etc. Everything about the relationship that matures, matures because of God's grace as you received Christ. So also walk in Him. Okay. Well, that's it. You receive Christ by grace, that's the exact way you continue to, leave, to, to live in Him. And then Paul goes on to say in so many ways in this letter and in the passage in front of us this morning, if anyone says to you that you need to do this or that in order to gain some secret knowledge or to be in a spiritually superior place of enlightenment, if anyone says to you that you need to engage in this ritual or that religious experience in order to know something more than what is revealed in God's gracious act of moving you from darkness to light through bringing you to and in, His presence through Jesus Christ, our our union with him in his life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. If anyone says there's more than that, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. They are lying to you. He doesn't mince words. Now, in the time that we have remaining, I want to dig in a bit with you to try to think about what Paul wants for the Colossians In this passage, in front of us, what does he want for them? Um, and, And then when we can imagine what he wants for them, I want us to think about how we can think about what he might want for us in our particular context today. There's nobody here this morning who's saying to you, Oh, you know, engage in this ritual or that ritual, or I have some secret knowledge for you or whatnot. I mean, the categories are different, our context is different, but our human condition is the same. And so when we think about what he wants for them, I think with a little bit of imagination, we can imagine what he wants for us too. When Miroslav Volf was with us a couple of years ago on a Sunday morning, he reminded us in his homily that because we are human beings, creatures, we have limits. We have limits. There's good news in that, just saying that. Man, I I like to be able to say, I have limits. I'm a, I'm a creature. I have limits. That's why I have loved the music this morning. Every song this morning has been about resting in Jesus and, 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 and letting Jesus take us by the hand and, and all of that. Um, anyway, it, when Voff was with us, he, he reminded us that as human beings we have limits. But, but he also said this, because we are fallen human beings living in a fallen world, we're also... and and this is a little bit cruelly ironic, we're also susceptible to limitless desires and a feeling of limitless responsibility. We want more and more, and then we just want more and more, and we feel responsible for more and more, and that builds on itself, and then we feel responsible for more and more, Volf calls these, okay, I wonder if anybody remembers what he called them. Um, He kind of apologized for this because it was sort of like, yes, I am a professor at Yale and so I come up with these nerdy terms for things and phrases for things. He called these the two bad infinities, bad infinity, the two bad infinities of our age insatiable desire, and limitless responsibility. And that together, they're the great enemies of God's gifts of joy and contentment. Now, what I want to submit to you this morning is that Paul knew of what Miroslav spoke. Paul knew that part of the fallen human condition... is that we are so easily tempted to jump on a treadmill of one sort or another in order to feel like we are making it happen whatever making it happen might look like. It's, just, it's part of the human condition. Here's a treadmill. Get on it. Get going. Make it happen. Then you feel good about yourself. And maybe better than the person next, you may feel better about yourself than the person next to you. And then really feel good about that. For example, many in the church at Corinth were addicted to upward mobility in a way that started to shape their identity and their view of what life was all about. Even life in the church. And and so to the Corinthians, Paul writes... And with those tempted to jump on the treadmill of religious effort in the letters, uh, like uh, the letter to the Romans, the letter to the Galatians, uh, those who kept imagining that keeping the Old Testament law was the way to a higher tier of spiritual maturity, Paul says they're exchanging a yoke of freedom for a yoke of slavery. Paul knew the temptation. He knew that part of the human condition is that we like to keep things in our own control. And that part of being human in a fallen world is that we resist God's grace. We resist God's grace. And we try to take our lives in our own hands rather than receiving Christ's life as simple and magnificent gift. And Paul also knew that life under our own wisdom and our own steam would lead us into a space where we never feel like we have enough or have done enough or worthy enough or whatever. He knew what the treadmill was all about. And that's what he's so upset about in this letter. You You know, we don't know exactly what the false teaching was, but man, does he hate it. He does not mince words. Now, in Galatians, he hated it so much that he used profanity a couple of times and very violent imagery, and that was a very early letter of Paul's. I think maybe by now people said, Paul, you can't talk like that. (laughs) You're a preacher. You can't use that kind of language. But here he's like very, very stern, and he says, don't let anybody talk to you this way. Don't let anybody tell you there's any add-on to the grace of God. They're lying to you. They do that. Colossians, they're tempted to get on a treadmill of limitless add-ons. Limitless add-ons to the simple gospel of gracious acceptance in Jesus. They were tempted to look at their beginning with Jesus, perhaps as a gracious invitation, but only the beginning of what they needed. Something more needed to be done, they were being told. Something more needed to be experienced in order to be spiritually mature and deeply connected to God and God's wisdom. And the something more, it always went beyond the simple knowledge of God's gracious love for them in Christ. Again, and I know I'm repeating myself, and we are coming close to the end, but he says to all of this, there is, if anyone says to you there's something more than what Jesus has already done for you in his life, death, and resurrection, something more than your union with him in that life, death, resurrection, and ascension, they're lying to you. There is no secret knowledge. The gracious invitation to participate in Christ's life through faith is 100% gift, and it is no secret knowledge. It is 100% public information for all people and for all sorts of people. From time to time, as I mentioned earlier in our greeting this morning and in our homily preview. From time to time at Grace, we've made the point in our teaching and preaching that God loves you. Who you are, as you are, warts and all. He loves the real you, not the idealized version of you that we often imagine that we need to project in order to be lovable or thought well of or whatnot. This spectacularly good news is at the heart of the gospel and it's simmering just below the surface in everything that Paul says in this letter I'm going to keep going for just a minute I was I was just about to wrap it up and I thought I can also say this so I am what was at stake for Paul in this letter you know was the heart of the gospel but not just with regard to individual people understanding that their place before God needed no add-ons but also deeply concerning to him was the health of the community as a whole you think about this with me a community of people made up of those who know that they are who they are by the grace of God and through no effort or achievement of their own, that is a community of people who also love and accept each other, warts and all. A community of people who are patient with one another, non-competitive, quick to forgive each other and to be generous with each other and with those outside the community. That's why in chapter three, which is coming right up in the letter, that's why in chapter three, when he takes up the discussion of how the Colossians and all of us are to live and be with one another, his pivot is this phrase Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. Here's what he says. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on this earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The things of this earth consist of human efforts to become who we think we need to be according to human wisdom and human categories. The things above, in breathtaking language, he says, consists of the knowledge that we are already, warts and all, hidden with Christ in God. And now, when we come to this table each week, we're reminded in faith that That fullness that awaits us when Christ is revealed in the world to come, we will be revealed with him also. Paul says in our reading this morning, today, today, you have fullness in him. You, whoever you are following Jesus in faith and repentance, you have fullness in him. Not through any efforts of your own, through secret knowledge, but only by saying yes over and over again to God's gracious invitation to follow Jesus in faith and repentance. Go forth in that blessed good news. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, thanks be to God for the gospel. Amen.